Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. We're sometimes fortnightly, we're sometimes monthly. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hi, Peter. How are you doing? Doing very good, doing very good. It's absolutely freezing here in Edinburgh. Oh, still, still. Yes, yeah, it's uh, just looking out the window. It's nice and sunny, but all, all the, the cars have got a, a glazing of frost on them. Mmm, very nice. Uh, I haven't been outside yet here, so I have no idea what temperature it is. It looks chilly, but yeah, nice and warm inside. Yeah, absolutely, cosy. What might one do to warm up? One might get moving, right? So what are we talking about today? Moving, I think. Yeah, moving. <laughs> Not the, moving the, house. The plan of that hint is it, is it hit the floor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the worst segue, yeah. Insert a gif of, you know, someone hitting themselves in the head. This is, uh, yeah, this is, I don't know, is this an unusual topic? It feels like an obvious topic, but one that we haven't really touched on, I think. Yeah, not only that, I don't think anyone else has, as far as I can tell. Oh, well, there we go. So that, so that means it's either going to be total nonsense or very innovative. Yeah, <laughs> maybe we found this amazing dark cave that we think is worth exploring, but is actually Sorry. two foot deep and then doesn't lead anywhere. Yeah, Draw on the flame, jump the shark. We yeah. finally did the moving episode. Yeah, so we're going to do an episode about movement, I suppose, but moving is part of it, right? And yes. for me, the, the starting point for this was thinking about basic actions. You can fight, you can investigate, you can evade, and you can move. They're, broadly speaking, the basic actions, draw a card or gain a resource. But particularly for fight, investigate, evade, one of the things we do in deck building is try and make those actions better, yes. more efficient, more compressed, you know, either the giving yourself a boost to do them or things like that. But with movement, I don't know how much over the course of the game I've really thought about movement as an important thing or as an action that I could be improving. Yes. So that's really the the sort of the eye I'm casting over this whole topic. Is this something that I could have been thinking about more? And if so, how do I make my movement in Arkham better? That's yeah. where I'm at. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's a, I think that's a nice starting point. I don't know why we got started talking about movement. Can you remember what, what triggered it? I mean, was it Innsmouth and some of the large maps in Innsmouth? Potentially, yeah, yeah. And maybe because you're playing with Luke? Yes. I think we had this conversation before we played Horror in High Gear, which kind of shakes this conversation up for uh, reasons we won't get into on this cast, because we try and mm. tend to avoid specific recent spoilers. But yeah... I, I I think you might be right. The first handful of scenarios, or the first, so at least the first three scenarios, they're mm. quite big maps, aren't they, in Innsmouth? And there's there's a lot of movement. And I think we'd, we'd got a potentially a lighter ride because we had a Luke in our team. And Luke was easily able to jump back and, and scoop up clues off locations we weren't able to get to. And the, the, the number mm. of actions we were saving, effectively, from not having to do that movement was was pretty incredible you know when you start counting it up yeah 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 it's for me the image is like the similar image of you know when a mystic has landed a really powerful storm of spirits and they're like oh i just did 12 damage in that storm of spirits 
and you start counting up how many actions that would be with your 45 automatic or whatever other weapon, you're thinking, oh, actually, I couldn't do that amount of damage even in my three actions. It might even be six actions worth. And you, you know, before you're even thinking about the basic fight action, which would be 12 actions worth to do that amount of damage. So you see, when you have this sudden explosion of compression, as it were, you suddenly think, wow, okay, they've, they've maybe really warped or manipulated a side of the game and yeah luke is the probably the prime example because we talked about that in our luke specific episode as well yeah he can save you know half a dozen actions at a time depending on the size of the map depending on how he uses the gate box he's not the only investigator that interacts with movement and we'll come on to them later i suppose yes so i guess the the difference between the movement actions and those other actions you've mentioned the other basic actions is they all require they all require a test typically mm-hmm. yeah, fighting yeah. evading investigating all require tests movement doesn't movement you just move and mm. um, there are complications to moving so you know you you potentially looking at attacks of opportunities things like that here's a question for you frank and let's boil this right down to the most basic level right let's do uh, explain like I'm five for Arkham <laughs> why do I need to move in a scenario um Gosh, I bet you, when you ask questions like this, Peter, I always think you actually already have a quite and I tell you why I response. Ask, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm then I then try and boil it down to five, like I'm a sort of like a bumbling astrophysicist <laughs> who then makes it way too complicated. I'll tell you why because Arkham is divided up into different locations, yes. and normally the things you need to do are spread across different locations. Is that is that simple enough? I think so. Yeah. I, I mean, if, if we want to get maybe even a tad more specific, usually you're, you're driving your way through the scenario. Your act progression is gated mm-hmm. behind clues, and you're trying to to get clues quickly, more quickly than the agenda advances, in order to progress to the scenario. Yeah. So, so you know, every every Arkham scenario is really a race, isn't it, between your progress and the progress of the the agendas. Mm-hmm. So, to get those clues, they're spread across different locations. You need to get those clues from the locations and advance the act. And that's a that's a format which I think covers the vast majority of scenarios. Yeah, yeah. And as you were saying that, I was thinking, and the scenarios that don't cover that often they take away clues but keep locations. So you still have a goal to cover ground in some way. So I'm yeah. thinking of, say, Essex that explicitly just says, move from the left to the right. <laughs> That's what I'd like you to do. It does ask you to collect clues on the way, but they're not important for your progress, really. They're just obstacles to your progress. It just says, cover this ground. Um, you might also think of like jungle scenarios in Forgotten Age, where they still say, go to locations and collect clues. They just have hidden those locations to start with. Yeah, yeah. So I think one of the interesting things that comes out of that then is that we can see if that's our primary goal is to, basically to move around and find clues. I, I, actually, it just struck me you could if you're going to do a one line description of the game what, of what you do in the game, you could say you move around, find clues, fight enemies, or hide from them. That mm-hmm. kind of covers the four main basic yeah. action types, isn't it? Anyway, mm-hmm. when we define movement as or talk about movement in the way you've, you've mentioned there you can see that other cards that let you do those actions or, or do that without having to move would also kind of fall under the category of movement or, or movement compression to an extent. Mm-hmm. I'm th- let's pick a card out the air, Seeking Answers. 
mm. lets you find clues at an adjacent location. Now, I, I'm not making any comment on the the worthiness of seeking answers as a card. I think most people who've played with the card might be able to give you an idea of, of how useful it is mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. isn't. But what that lets you do in its ideal situation, it lets you get a so, so level zero seeking answers is you find a clue in a, at a connecting location, I believe. Yeah. That prevents you having to spend an action to move that location and move back mm-hmm. from that location. And, you know, if there's an enemy at that location, it potentially becomes even more useful. So, so that's almost a movement card without actually moving you, right? Yeah, yeah. Almost a movement card. It saves you. You're trading the card and the resource for not having to take the actions moving there can be useful for various reasons. And of course, like again, don't want to delve too deeply into Seeking Answers. One of the reasons why that card might be less popular is that, broadly speaking, we've learned as players that you move to a new location, you get the clues there, and then you move on to the next location. And when we think about efficiency of movement, as we'll do in this episode, one of the things that's very inefficient is moving in and out of locations repeatedly because you've gone into a location, realised you can't get the clues there, left it, then drawn the cards that get you the clues, gone back in and things like that. And I think that, for me, is sort of underlining what I want to think about as I think about movement. How can I make sure that I spend those actions as efficiently as possible, given that I think, go out on a limb here, movement is one of the actions that we can't enhance as easily as, say, having a weapon and doing more damage or clue compression. I think that it's a, a harder to enhance action, but let's let's see as we go on. Yes, yeah, so, I wrong. mean this this is kind of a fun episode because we've not talked about any conclusions we've got in advance, so mm. we're discovering this as uh, as as you, the listener, are. Yeah, and looking down your list of questions, I'm actually my eye is caught on what causes movement actions to be wasted, and I wonder if we should turn to that because I just sort of mentioned that idea of of bumbling around. Do you have thoughts about what causes actions to be wasted in movement? Well, I, I think the, the primary cause is, is exactly what you said, is moving into and out of locations. So you can imagine you've got an efficient path through the scenario where you move to every location. Or so you move to a location, you find all the clues at that location and you move on. And you only mm-hmm. do that the exact amount of times you need in order to get the number of clues you need for the, whatever the objectives of the scenario are, whether that's... Mm-hmm picking up clues or, or doing an action on the locations, whatever. So, so you've got a theoretical minimum number of movement actions you need to have. Yeah. And the reason you deviate from that would be as a result of people failing tests of the mythos, typically. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking if, if a mythos card appears which causes you to move a location, that mm-hmm. can happen. Or if an enemy appears at your location which you need to evade and then move away from. Mm-hmm. Or if some investigator in, in multiplayer gets bogged down by a treachery they can't deal with by themselves and mm-hmm. you have to move back to help them. And that's a common situation for like a kind of fighting enemy, uh, fighting investigator or evading investigator to be in. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Daisy's sitting in the library looking at books and then an enemy appears and Daisy says, Zoe, get over here quickly and deal with this enemy so I can keep on investigating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But to an extent, like you, well, we're getting into to kind of tactics now, but if it, that, that then feels like investigators which are doing that, mythos management would want to have that movement compression built in more, right? Mm, mm. Yeah, I, th- I think so. And I think that sort of raises a bigger 
philosophical question which will hang over this entire episode of do I need to think about movement at all? Which yes. I'm not suggesting we answer necessarily, but it might be something that just isn't important for your investigator. And I'm thinking actually of your Think on Your Feet Agnes deck. I spend, I, I, when, when I think back, I spend a lot of time in those episodes thinking about movement. Yeah, right? and when we've done the deck discussion, you're like, oh, I'd really like some more movement. And we've ended up, That's I think that's the other sort of seed that has um, sprouted that's at the heart of this episode. It's like, what do you take as a mystic survivor hybrid to help you move more quickly? Is there anything in faction? Is it worth bothering with? Or is one of the really important things you do as Agnes just make sure your movement actions are really efficient because you've got no leeway in your deck to make up for that? In the way that if I'm Ursula, (laughs) I have so much movement ideally in the deck to trigger my ability that it almost doesn't matter if I move back to the place that I've been before. Yes. If that means I can then trigger things later on. Yeah. They're probably at sort of the extremes of the the spectrum, aren't they? Absolutely agree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll say when it comes to wasting movement actions, I guess one of the... Every time I want to move, I think I want to be very sure... I interrogate every movement action I spend in a game mm-hmm. to see if it's really necessary or if I'm spending it prematurely because mm-hmm. a wasted movement action is really multiple movement actions. Yes. Because if I'm moving out of a location I need to come back into, that's two actions, right? And if if there's other things that are, are impeding that movement, if there's other enemies and things like that I'm going to have to deal with, it's multiplying the number of actions I need to spend or that, that I have wasted. I'm doing, mm-hmm. doing yeah. bunny years around wasted. What what's what's your perception of wasted movement then? Do you do you have one, or is this a, a, a term I've thrust upon you and you don't agree with? This is exactly the point I wanted to raise as well. I think the most common cause of wasted movement or of movement actions that didn't need to be taken is player led, or I mean, to be harsh about it, player idiocy. <laughs> and, and I would <laughs> that's, I would ninety percent label... of our listeners they're calling me idiots. <laughs> no, but I would label myself explicitly among that and Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that think on your feet recording and putting my plays out there and getting feedback on them has really taught me as a beginner player in the game if I didn't have something to do I'd say oh well I may as well move you know and the value I'd say is well I get to find out another location I get to see if there are clues there I can get there's nothing I can do at this location whereas now my players changed and the point I've reached now is unless I know I'm 100% done with the location I'm at there's no point moving as best I can. And actually recently I take that to an even further, like a, yeah, an even more extreme degree. I used to do the thing that you suggested earlier of evade and move away from enemies. And particularly recently when I've been playing evasion heavy characters, I've realized that that is more action intensive than evading an enemy and staying put. Yeah, yeah. Because if the enemy is a hunter and I've moved away, it's then on my tail. And unless I can handle the location I'm at and keep a distance, I'm going to have to move back and evade it again or take the hit. And so then realizing, well, if I'm going to evade this and I still need to get a clue here and I'm not going to get out in time, I'd rather invest my actions in making sure I can evade again next turn and know that I'm ready to leave rather than just blindly leave. But I noticed that that was a part of my play that was almost uh, like as close to hard-coded as as you can get I think where when I had an enemy on me and I had high agility I'd go right well that's two actions because I'm evading and I'm moving what am I doing with my third and having to kind of claim back that middle action of do I need to move I found really difficult I'd also say 
I've noticed that with movement, I'd say it's slightly the equivalent of how some people treat taking a resource or drawing a card, which is that because those aren't particularly efficient ways of generating resources or getting card advantage, people are wary of doing them. Mm-hmm. And I, I probably am on the err on the side of if you're not sure if you need to move yet, it's almost always better drawing a card because that will give you things that will then, you know, allow you to get the clues where you are or whatever it is. Whereas the movement action, once you've moved, it's so rare that it's actually put you in a better position. And that's for all of the reasons you've outlined. If you're in a party, you've split the party up. It means you're coming back, you're spending more actions. If you've moved into a location with no actions left, there's all of the challenges of that, you know, all of that kind of thing. So I'm I'm really glad we're doing this episode because I think, I think my position has changed quite a lot on it. And the, the same as you, actually, it was listening to you doing Think on Your Feet, thinking I could do a lot more in terms of, yeah, moving moving efficiently. And the, the biggest cause of that is my choices yeah, rather yeah. than filling my deck with 16 cards that help with that. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. We are going to talk about cards that, uh, that, that affect movement or are affected by movement. Mm-hmm. But I think that that interrogation of yourself every time you move, do I need to make this move? Do I really need to make this move? Uh, yeah, like you say, I, I have it maybe in the same category as the, the resources and the cards. I, I hate taking those actions. Mm. I will, of course, take them if it's the best option. But frequently there's something better I could be doing with those actions. Everyone mm-hmm. hates that dreaded turn where you just take take three resources, right? Yeah. But yeah, and actually, great, great comparisons. You've got a turn ahead of you. You don't know what to do. You've got eight cards in hand, nothing you want to play. They're all, you know, skills or events or whatever it is. So your three actions are kind of just swaying in the wind. One option is take three resources. You end the turn three resources richer. Another option is move three times. Mm -hmm. You end the turn having seen three locations. But unless your scenario is predicated, you know, the win condition is predicated on being at a different location... You, that I would argue that the information you've gathered is probably not valuable enough, or not as valuable as three resources. Obviously, there are exceptions there. There are scenarios where you have to find a certain location or things like that where it then becomes really valuable. But yeah, you're kind of left with nothing tangible in a way, having moved. Yeah. So should we talk about? Do you want to yeah, talk about? Yeah, where do you some, want to go to? Well, good question. Uh, we could talk about scenarios or campaigns, which. Mm-hmm. Particularly gonna tax your movement or not? Mm. Mm. Like I, I, I put down one of our questions: How many actions will I move in a scenario? Uh, yeah. And that—that's a deliberately difficult question to answer, mm. I think, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it honestly it can vary between literally zero. There are scenarios where you don't have to take the move action once, right? Yep. And as you, as I saw that question, and we've been talking, I did a quick mental tally. So in the gathering, you don't have to move out of the study but you do have to move into the cellar, back again, and into the attic, and back again, which is four moves. Yeah. That's obviously playing solo. You don't even need to move into the parlour if you're able to defeat the ghoul priest. But if you want to move to the parlour and resign, that's a a fifth action. So it's kind of low. You know, an Essex, which we've mentioned already, is six train cars in the engine car. So you have to move five times and then a sixth to get into the final car. The trick, of course, with Essex is that if you if a passenger appears behind you... What do you do? Do you accept the horror? Do you go back? Yeah. It's a way of adding actions, putting people behind you, of course. Yeah. Yeah, so, so there's that. Uh, but then you might spiral up to... You look at Midnight Masks, 
I don't even want mm-hmm. to calculate how many potential moves you've got there. Mm. I mean, even if you just what move to every location once, that's what two to go into and out of the graveyard, and then yeah. one, two, three, four to loop around the side, five down yeah. to the hospital, six to south side, seven back to Rivertown. So that's nine. Yeah, that's nine straight away with one visit to each place, and that obviously doesn't factor in going back to anywhere to yeah. get getting, the cultists there, getting yeah. picked up by by night gaunts and dropped back in the middle. Mm. Or going to your house if your house is still there. Mm. Yeah. So so that that's quickly spiraling up. And actually, like, do you think that you might spend that many actions fighting? I mean, certainly mm. in Midnight Masks, mm. you've got the the masked hunter appears. So so you're going to spend quite a few actions pummeling that guy. Yeah. But but you know, I think you might consider a weapon in a deck for fewer decent fight actions than that. And yet yeah. we're here saying, should we think about movement compression or not? You know, you, you mentioned about the night gaunts pulling you back. That's one of the things where we see treacheries provide a movement penalty, but it's not written on the card. So it's test agility for if you fail, move to a central location and take a damage and a horror. Yeah. So that could be lose uh, one or zero actions of movement because you're one or zero locations away from a central location. But it could be lose a turn's worth of movement yeah, yeah, if yeah. you're that far away. So it's sort of lose zero to X actions where X is the distance from a central location you are away, which, yeah, that's potentially really nasty. And it's it's not it's not worded in a way that's necessarily explicit. And I think that's one of the, the things I really enjoy about where, how you weigh up that card. Oh, does this actually matter? I'll just take the damage in the horror because it's not far away, whatever it is. I like as well that Midnight Masks is, you know, as we've said many times before, it's that the world opens up after the gathering and as a player you get so much more choice, you get so much more freedom of where you explore and one of the things it asks of your deck that the gathering hasn't asked is how do you move around? How do you efficiently cover this ground? What options do you have there? Um, it, It poses that exactly in the same way. So yeah, it's nice to know that that's in the core set as a challenge. I, I think there's probably some other scenarios we could pick out just just to mention names without getting too much into spoiler territory. The details territory. of each, mm-hmm. yeah. In, in the clutches of chaos, I think springs to mind to me. Yes, um, yeah. Pallid mask. Mm, yeah, uh, yeah. D- I mean, Doom of the Etsy potentially. I think there's there's a few scenarios where you get to the end and then you've got to get back out. Yeah, and some of those fall into that category. I'd also say that scenarios that have a hub location are deceptively movement intensive because of all the locations like that where you can't uh, follow a one-way route, you have to keep going back on yourself, mean that the locations take double actions. So I'm thinking of like Devourer Below or Shattered Eons, where you're finding a location, going into it, getting the clues there and then coming back. That means each of those locations is costing you two actions to explore. So the map might seem small, but you end up covering the ground repeatedly. I'm just playing through Circle Undone again, and I feel like uh, Secret Name and Wages of Sin both do that as well, where you're you keep crisscrossing the same map slowly rather than setting off on a long journey somewhere. And that that means that the maps don't have to be large and they can still force you to spend a lot of time trudging over them. Um, it's a sort of like sleeper tax, I suppose. Yeah. 
Okay, well, we, we've talked about the the, mm. the scenario side of the cards. Should we maybe uh, pick apart the, the player side of the cards a little bit then? Yeah, let's do that. So I guess one of the things I'm interested in is the, the texture to the way movement works for the different factions. Yeah. Uh, should we just run through the factions and pick out some cards? Is it, are you happy doing that? Yeah, I think that's a good idea. I'll say how I got some of these names as well, because I've made a little sheet. I decided for this one, rather than search for the word move... I would just pull up every single card and, <laughs> right. and read them manually wow. and write them down. And what I decided, what I saw then was that there were little pockets of kind of sub-themes that are either movement or movement-related cards. Right. And I put them all down. We're not going to go through every card in detail, but it does mean that there is a sort of flavor, as you say. I wasn't sure if there would be, but yeah, it seems like that's come out in the wash as we've explored that so yeah yeah which faction do you want to start well, with? Uh, let's let's just run down the list I th- guardian okay. is at the top and i yeah. think as a th- the name implies for guardian one of their key roles in a team is not necessarily fighting enemies but protecting other members of the team mm-hmm. which often means being at the location of other members of your team or being able to quickly move to the location of the other members of your team and i think potentially guardian one of the factions that might really want to look into some of these tools it reminds me of us talking about riot whistle and the efficiency around engage and all of our discussion around engage was framed around this idea that a guardian might end up needing to move engage attack to deal with an enemy yeah 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 because they're not at the right location and we focused in on that second action engage but we could have focused in on the first action move so for me, the card that jumps out is a fairly new card, which is Safeguard. Yeah. I mean, the clue's almost in the name, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I think this the Safeguard is phenomenally good. Uh, we, we played together when you were using Safeguard, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was a huge number of actions. I guess, actually, that reminds me. That I think, was that when we played uh, Carnival? Yes. Yeah. That's a scenario where movement is very key. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Having any kind of movement compression in that is just uh, bananas. Mm-hmm. And that's a scenario where if, if the cards come out in the right order, you'll have a very few number of actions because it's eight locations to do a circuit. But if they don't, you might be doing multiple circuits. The encounter deck is trying to force you to take more actions in movement by moving you around. So it looks like a sort of eight to 16 action scenario but can easily spiral higher than that if you're not careful yeah yeah so yeah safeguard is an interesting one because it really it gives the guardian uh, at safeguard level zero is is uh, one action a turn and that safeguard level two is as many as the other person can take and it what's interesting to me about that is obviously they still need to be taking the actions but yes. it's the guardian the person who's going to be doing the fighting and engaging who doesn't need to take them where so that then for me feels really useful where your guardian spends their spare actions then not moving which means they're drawing cards setting up killing enemies all of the other things maybe finding clues depending on the guardian and you could have your your insmith party has a joe diamond yeah in it yeah 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 it does joe could have seeker movement and guardian movement in in their deck if they wanted to and other people could move them and then they could also use movement tricks in seeker potentially yeah it's kind of interesting so the other ones i identified unless do you want to say anything else about no no please i mean we've got yeah we've kind of got a lot to cover so i'm I'm yeah so i'm going to bunch all of these together so we've got get over here heroic rescue and righteous hunt so all of these require an enemy in some form and 
provide the Guardian with some amount of movement or moving an enemy to save the Guardian moving it so that it can allow Guardians to kind of interact with with enemies in that way. And then I sort of did as a sub-theme, you've got First Watch, Let Me Handle This, and On the Hunt, which at least gives you some say over where enemies appear. So there, I, I suppose, like sort of pseudo-movement cards. They don't give the Guardian movement, but they give the Guardian a measure of control over the movement that they might need to take. Yes, yeah. So that's that's why I kind of added them on, on the list as possibilities. I'm sure there might be people who say, well, they're not movement cards. I wouldn't say they are. I'd just say they help you with your positioning. Uh, and then in your next bullet, you've put more cards that uh, allow you to increase the range, I guess, mm-hmm. that you'll uh, mm-hmm. you'll engage with enemies. So dynamite blast, telescopic sight, marksmanship, things like that. Mm. Which I think it, it it's the same argument, but but kind of just flipped around a bit. You're you're reducing your need to actually take the move action by by being more efficient at um, or. or Doing what you can do without needing to take it. And I'm mm. rambling a bit, but yeah, I think we we mentioned this at the top of the episode. Really, if you're preventing the need to move, it's kind of the same as m- making the move action. So you might be say you're playing a Nathaniel Cho deck and picking him because he's only got access to Guardian and Neutral. You might think, well, I don't actually have that many options for making my movement more efficient, but I am going to run, get over here, and safeguard. And if anyone else in the team is moving, Safeguard will give me actions that way. And also, if I'm not quite in the right position, I can use Get Over Here and, and pull an enemy over and, and compress a, a move, engage, and fight all into one card. And that, that might be worthwhile as what he's looking at, for instance. For Guardian, then, engage is the other thing that they maybe play around with to save actions, but that's a different topic. Yes, we actually didn't mention engage or parlay or resign as a, as a, some of our mm. basic actions, mm. did we? Yeah, yeah. Cool. I think this is a theme we'll come back to in the different factions. Actually, that that, that the way one of the ways we uh, we do movement compression or, or avoiding the need to move is by doing the thing that your faction does at range. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if guardians are fighting at range, seekers finding clues at range, rogue is evading enemies at range. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think this is a theme we'll come back to uh, several times. Yeah. So where would you like to go next? Well, let, let's jump onto seeker then, because I think seeker's probably got some of the brackets in famous uh, <laughs> movement cards. Mm-hmm. Shortcut has long been a staple of seeker decks. Mm-hmm. Shortcut level zero, great card. I think you know it. Anyone first picking up the set and playing with it will quickly see the value of shortcut. Not just that ability to position yourself is 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 really good. Getting away from enemies like massive enemies, that's really yep. good. Being saving someone else an action, being mm-hmm. able to move someone else outside of their turn. Uh, mm-hmm. We didn't mention this when we talked about the the. Well, we haven't really talked about investigators, but someone like Roland who wants to do things like find clues on locations. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or sorry, fight enemies when he's on locations with clues. You know, mm-hmm. he can shortcut into a location, kill an enemy to get a clue. So yeah, shortcut, obviously a fantastic card. Pathfinder, another very car- good card. A card that is so good it's just been tabooed, right? Yeah. And I think Pathfinder really like demonstrates the power of movement. When you have a free movement action every turn, 
you're able to be a lot more liberal with how you 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 uh, you spend those movement actions. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, with Pathfinder, moving out of a location you need to move back into isn't a big deal. Yeah, you can just say, "Oh well, I'll Pathfinder back in." Yeah, and it it gives you so it it gives you a buffer for those wasted actions, right? It says that will do the inverted commas wasted. <laughs> um, and yeah. when we were talking about the number of, act- of actions you need to be moving around a scenario like Midnight Masks, you can imagine you might spend nine turns playing Midnight Masks. So mm-hmm. if you played Pathfinder first turn, in some worlds you would never t- need to take a move action for the whole game. Yeah. And those yeah. actions are actions you can spend doing other stuff that's useful. Mm-hmm. Getting clues, killing enemies, Getting clues. all of those yeah, things. Even, even just drawing cards. <laughs> So it's a, it, it almost feels like it multiplies how effective your deck is. Mm-hmm. Not only gives you some buffer for wasting actions, but also allows you to invest the actions you would spend moving in stuff that's more useful. I've noticed as well, I think there is a quite interesting breakpoint for actions between three actions and four actions. Mm. And if I have a three action turn, I can investigate my location. I'm thinking of solo here move to another location and investigate it as well. So I get two clues and cover two locations worth. But anything beyond that, and I'm kind of stumped. But with Pathfinder, I can actually cover three locations worth of clues because I can start at a location, Pathfinder into a location, first action, get a clue, second action, move, third action, get a clue somewhere else. So I'm two locations further away from where I started Mm. and I've got the clues in them. It doesn't feel like a lot more. It's just one action's worth. But the distance I've covered suddenly is uh, doubled, for want of a better word. And yeah, I mean, that just seems to add up and to snowball with Pathfinder. It's an incredible card, obviously. I think I think there's no one debating that. But particularly as we've played with it for a long time now, it seems to just grow in power and utility and open up so many shenanigans. There's actually something else I want to touch on that you brought up with Shortcut and Roland. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the kind of shadowy figure that has been lurking behind our discussion, which is positioning. Yes. And positioning is very hard to talk about on a podcast about this game because every scenario has a different map, more or less. And it's very hard to talk in in generalizations about something that's very specific to the scenario you're playing. But an investigator like Roland, as you mentioned, cares about positioning a lot. I'd say any Guardian running scene of the crime should start thinking about their movement in terms of their positioning. And cards like Shortcut and Pathfinder really give you a a bit of leeway about your positioning because you can (laughs) reorganize without spending an action and that then allows you to do other things. I know I'm slightly repeating what you're saying, but I think in terms of where, you know, rather than saying, why shouldn't I move? When we turn to those questions of why should I move? A prime reason to move, I would say, is to position yourself in a better place. Maybe the location you're on uh, punishes you for ending your turn there. Maybe hunter enemies are going to hunt into that location and you don't want to be hit. Maybe the location you're on doesn't have clues and you want to position yourself on a location with clues. It could even be something like, just to get to that slightly more granular level, you want to reveal another location so that there are more clues because you know locked door is the, in the encounter deck and you'd rather that location get locked than the one you're on. You know, you can positioning can do all sorts of things about um, flipping locations and... Yeah, I think it just it just lurks in the background when we talk about why move. Shall I jump onto some more of these seeker cards? Because yeah, yeah. We've well, only scratched the surface. I know, I know. So, yeah, following the the 
hot on the heels of the tabooed Pathfinder is the tabooed segment of Onyx. Yes. If you can assemble the pendant, you get three moves of unlimited distance as long as you can find revealed locations. And then we also see the Truth Beckons, which also allows you to move an unlimited distance as long as you pick an unrevealed location at the end. And then (laughs) there's also more... There's an ancient stone upgrade, Transient Thoughts, that every time you draw a card, you get to move by the number of cards you draw, which is pretty good, limited by secrets. Um, There's the Esoteric Atlas. There's two different versions of that that provide either an exactly two-location move or up to three. And then there's also the Forbidden Tome Secrets Revealed. For the simple cost of four actions, you get to move one space and discover a clue. (laughs) But obviously the actions go down. I've put that in there. I mean, it's not really movement compression, is it? It's an action to move, but you get a clue. Yes. Um, But you could consider it as an action to get a clue with a free move thrown in. Those those are my sort of headline ones that um, have movement in them for Seeker. And funnily enough... Like our card draw episode, um, Seekers are in the lead for having the most options and the most abilities and things like that. And I wonder, is that is that why Seekers are so powerful? The things you need to do are get clues and move? Yeah, I mean, potentially. I think the, the, the key... And draw cards. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, those are all good things. They've got be good at the game in, in their slice of the colour pie, haven't they? <laughs> yeah. You've noted down some, some cards... Uh, they aren't quite the movement cards directly, but you you put the self reality seeking answers in the know. Mm-hmm. The theme there is is getting clues at range, and I, and I think that's a when we talked about wasted actions. Two of the things we talked about was having to move to help an enemy, uh, help an ally with something like an enemy or another treachery mm-hmm. card, or going back to pick up a couple of clues off a location, one or two clues off a location. Mm. So a card which gets you one clue off a neighbouring location actually saves you two actions because you're yeah. you're not moving in, you're not moving back out of that location. Mm. Um, and the more locations away that you're getting those clues from, the more actions you're saving, presuming you don't have to go to that location anyway. Yeah. So, you know, deciphered reality saves you however many locations <laughs> there are uh, actions, which is, uh, yeah, which is good. Yeah. Absolutely. And then I've also put in that we see in Seeker some movement-adjacent cards, like Fieldwork, that gives you a boost if you move into a location with a clue, and the otherworldly compass and vantage point. So not only do Seekers have lots of cards that move them, but they've also got cards that then reward them for being in the right place or, or key off movement. And we've mentioned Ursula already, but obviously she really likes these cards because she also gets to take an action if she moves. So if she's getting a free move from Pathfinder, she then gets a free investigate. So she becomes a five action per turn investigator very easily, which is kind of crazy. And what you'll notice when you play Ursula is that she she plays like that. She plays constantly moving. Mm -hmm. And you really get a sense for for the impact that that movement makes on the game because she's constantly moving into and out of locations. But we, I think we've joked before on the podcast, she's like a hyperactive puppy. Yes. And you're just yeah. w- w- casually walking along the street and she shoots off into a, into a shop or into the bushes and then she shoots back out again in a second with a clue. Mm. Yeah, yeah. On to our rogues? Yeah, yeah. I mean, funnily enough, this was the first card I wrote down, Elusive. Yes. 
And do you remember way back at the beginning of the game, asking MJ their favourite... If it was just in the Discord, what's your favourite card? Or what's the most powerful card in the core set? And MJ said elusive. And people were like, what? And slowly people got their heads around, and including me, why elusive was so strong. So you get to disengage from all enemies, engage with you, and move to... Uh, revealed location any revealed location it's it's funny it's it's a it's a card which is so powerful which it, it almost if, if you could take any card in a particular scenario you'd take it mm. uh, some of those yeah. scenarios i mentioned earlier are sort of trivialized by elusive because it mm-hmm. skips out a whole phase of the game yeah and any scenario that requires you to double back so essentially doubling the number of actions you spend moving, Elusive just says, no, we won't spend any of those actions. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah. Now, there's Elusive's little brother, which is I'm out of here. Which <laughs> yeah. I put in there as movement because it's, I, I suppose, the equivalent of moving to wherever your resign location is and resigning. Um, obviously, you can't use I'm out of here just to do the move bit. <laughs> no, no. So, so it's, yeah, it's probably movement adjacent. And then we've just had released in the Winnie deck as well, Nimble, where depending on how much you succeed by, you get moves as a result. Um, and I've also put in some of the old favourites there. Cat Burglar gives you a move and a disengage from enemies. Remember my Wendy Cat Burglar decks being super fun. And then also think on your feet. If an enemy spawns at your location or the levelled up version, if an enemy enters your location, so hunts in, you get to move away, which is pretty nice. So yeah, I think particularly one of the things I've noticed about Nimble is... You can do some quite funky things, and this is something you mentioned earlier, around repositioning enemies with Nimble. Yeah. Because it gives you up to three moves. Say you're engaged with two enemies and you commit Nimble to evade one of them. If you succeed, the first enemy is evaded and you get to move three times. The other enemy is still engaged with you, but that means you pull them to a completely separate location Maybe you're then going to leave them there instead, or maybe you've got abilities that trigger off having an enemy in that location, or whatever it is. But by having movement that doesn't cost actions, the rogues can do uh, sort of an enemy management role where they can control where enemies are. I'm thinking of Trish as well, of course, might want to do particular things with that. Maybe Trish pulls that enemy to a location with clues and then finds a clue which evades that one. You know, all of that stuff becomes available simply by having movement that doesn't cost you actions. And that reminds me then of Safeguard, which does a similar thing. The Guardian could travel around the map with loads of enemies engaged with them as long as someone else is spending the actions because the Safeguard allows them to move without taking attacks for opportunity. Yeah, I, I, I think, yeah, all the rogue cards you've mentioned there, and as besides Nimble, involve mm. some kind of movement around enemies, don't they? Yes. Cat Burglar yeah. letting you move away from the enemies. Elusive, obviously, also lets you move away from enemies. I think that's... Yeah, that's maybe the way, the the special rogue twist on movement Mm. is that they do the old smoke bomb. Yeah, yeah. Move away from enemies. And actually, rogues, the rest of the cards you've listed, I mean, rogues, probably the the kings and queens of extra actions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Leeds Luca in the corset, and it just kind of goes up from there, doesn't it? Yeah, when we did our episode about extra actions and explored you know the rogue identity and what do you do with those extra actions one of the possibilities was when you have a load of extra actions that means i suppose it reduces the fact that a movement might be wasted if i'm ending up with a nine action turn if i spend two moving to a location and go oh i went to the wrong place that is far less impactful than if i have a three action turn and i did that it's still 
wasted and i'm still wary of using wasted as a sort of dismissive label but yeah you can how will the skids player make it to catch up with the party oh wait he has five actions this turn you know he runs over i've done that with tony as well tony's really good at that you have an enemy and your your teammate is three locations away but you attack your enemy with a quick thinking and maybe a double or nothing back when double or nothing was around, suddenly have a bunch of actions, run over, use Tony's extra action to engage the enemy. And uh, I did that once with a with a friend who was like, wait, how are you here now? Haven't you had all your actions? I was like, no, 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 that was my fifth action of seven this turn, whatever it is. Sort of classic Tony things. <laughs> so yeah, that I think that's worth bearing in mind that as a rogue player, you might not care about movement. You might just care about having actions to burn. Should we look at, at Mystics then? Mm-hmm. Mystics have a have a one of the the handful of uh, move action designated cards. Yeah, is astral travel. Does open gate have a no? Open gate just attaches to the location, doesn't it? And it connects mm-hmm. the locations. What we're talking about. Yes. Yeah, astral travel a move card costs three, right? Yeah, and might yeah. might destroy your items. Yeah, I think I've run this a couple of times with high hopes and never really found it necessary to use. But I mean, it's 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 definitely movement compression, right? Yeah, yeah. I think the real kicker here as well is the difference between movement that allows you to move to unrevealed and movement that allows you only to move to revealed. Yeah. And, you know, in some, some cases, you know, in Forgotten Age, when you're exploring, everything's revealed. So that's that's positive. But in other campaigns, it's only valuable for doubling back or if the party has split up. So I think it then becomes a quite limited card, particularly in solo, where you'll only ever be able to move to places you've already been. Uh, I think we talked about that in the Luke episode as well, didn't we? The importance of opening up locations for Luke because the gate boxes uh, only connect him to revealed, revealed locations. locations. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, yeah. I also put in there Mists of Reliere, which gives you an evade and a move. I think it's the strongest evade asset spell for mystics i think so it's cheap it's got lots of charges and getting an evade and a move does that thing we talked about earlier of when you evade an enemy you probably want to leave yeah and then you you mentioned open gate as well mystics have this weird thing where they can for the whole party trivialize trivialize the connections of locations by going around setting up gates do we want to talk about these other cards they're all kind of weird maybe just Super briefly, just mention those two other themes. Yeah, I I think there's a there's a few cards you've noted Sixth Sense uh, and Ward Level Two because of the kind of hybrid role of Mystics. I guess they mm. they do a lot of different things. Sixth Sense uh, is a really key one. I think it sort of falls into the to the Luke uh, the Luke bracket. <clears throat> the frustrating thing about Sixth Sense is that. It would be really nice if you could guarantee finding clues at a neighbouring location <laughs> repeatedly. Yeah. And Sixth Sense doesn't do that. <laughs> Sometimes you can find a clue at a connecting location. And we've had turns where, I mean, admittedly turns where there wasn't much else to do. But Luke's like, well, I'll use Sixth Sense on our current location just in case we can get a clue off of an adjacent location. Mm-hmm. And then he's mm-hmm. ended up wasting that action because he passes the test, but with a just a standard... Mm. A standard mm. token, not a special token. Mystic things are never straightforward. If you can pull those special symbols, great. Sixth Sense can be crazy strong, particularly Sixth Sense level four. If you can't, it's, yeah, you you end up just 
squandering. I, I think it creates those really fun play moments, doesn't it? When the mystic is like, I think I can get that clue. Hang on. And then they do some <laughs> bananas thing. It turns out the modifier is minus six and they fail. <laughs> yeah. And then I noted as well, we've got the cursed spell asset Shroud of Sh- Shadows, Shroud of Shadows, and Banish. And we've also seen a card announced, Flute of the Outer Gods. All of these cards allow mystics to move enemies. So that reminded me of slightly of Guardian, really, and manipulating where enemies are on the board, like Get Over Here and Righteous Hunt. So there is that in the Mystic pool as well. It's all just slightly, slightly weird. I mean, Banish, I think, is an incredibly strong card that doesn't get played too much. Mm. But um, yeah, being able to... We talked about that in, in what our evasion episode, didn't we? If evading an enemy also means they end up on the other side of the map, it's as good as killing them. If they can't hunt or whatever it is, they're just, they're gone. So yeah, let's move on to Survivor because there weren't very many in Mystics and I found Survivor also similarly fairly scant. And this then I think tallies with what we were saying about Agnes, where if your access is Mystic and Survivor, maybe they're not the factions that give you a lot of movement. So (laughs) there's Track Shoes. Track Shoes is a big one, admittedly. And there's Survival Instinct, which gives you a move after you evade. We've also got an investigator who has movement baked in in Rita. And then beyond that, I noted that look what I found level two allows you to get a clue at a neighboring location. And then the weird trap suite of bait and switch, lure, snare trap, hiding spot. There's some sort of funky things around avoiding enemies. But I don't know if they really, I mean, bait and switch can move an enemy. But beyond that, they're not really giving you any more movement, are they? They're not, no. But maybe that could be because track shoes does all the movement you need. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, it's, track shoes is very good. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, yeah. I mean, that difficulty three test, I remember when track shoes came out and people said, well, who's going to pass that? But then we realized that most survivors steadily pass that without much trouble. Of course, there's another, there's another survivor with movement baked in as well, Ashkan Pete. Yes. Well, I mean, as if you'll scan your, your eyes up to the list mm, I've got yeah. down. Uh, it's not actually Ashkan Pete who's got movement. It's Duke, obviously. <laughs> yeah, true. Very true. Um, yeah. But yes, it, uh, Duke has that same same ability where he's got either a, uh, he's got well, he's got an investigate and a move strapped together, hasn't he? Mm-hmm. As he, yeah. as he uh, and it's probably one of the most thematically funny um, movement abilities where Pete's dragged behind on a leash. Yeah, drag behind yeah. Duke because he's got uh, the scent of a clue in his nostrils. Mm. Yeah, I think Rita is actually similar. When she evades, she gets the move. It's maybe not as funny, but it fits really nicely thematically that she ducks into the shadows, but then she's also sprinted to the end of the block before the the enemies even come around the corner. Yeah. It's like she's Mists of Rulier, but without losing cards. So that's that's the cards I outlined. As ever, listener... It's not, I mean, it is. A, I think it's a good list, but it might not be entirely exhaustive. So if I've missed something, by all means, write in, explain the card that I've missed. I'd love hearing from you. I think even in just going through it in that way, we've got a sense of the different themes. Yes. Yeah, I, I, Yeah. if we're going to sum that up, you know, Guardian's got ways of engaging enemies at range. Um, yeah. Seeker just has straight up movement actions. Yeah, and clues at range yeah yeah uh, rogue is able to to move while there's enemies around or on them um, and just mm-hmm. generally has extra actions uh, generic extra actions and then mm-hmm. mystic and survivor are kind of the the odd ones um who, who 
maybe interact with movement a bit more unusually or unreliably. Yeah, I think that sums it up nicely. So, so have, have we? Do you think we've answered? Should we go back to the top of our episode? What was your mm. your brief for for this episode? <laughs> yeah, why does movement matter, and is it an action we can improve? I think, I think answer we can. Yeah, I think there's a combination of you, you said. And I don't want to pick you up on this because I know what you meant when you said it. Um, mm. I think you'd said, do I need to think about movement at all? Um, mm. And sometimes the answer is no. But I think like yeah. what, what, you're, what you're saying is you should think about it, but maybe the answer is, do I need to do anything different in building my deck is no. Mm. Mm. Um, oh, I appreciate being picked up and clarified on it. Yeah, um, uh, I, I thought about that at the time, but uh, I didn't say anything because <laughs> you were in full flow. But but I, I sorry, I know yeah. exactly what you meant. Uh, I just yeah. think it is something worth thinking about. Um, and I've not really thought about it kind of consciously. I guess one of the reasons I, I suggested we, we we do this episode. So it's it's really nice to talk about this in some depth and and mm. maybe get my thoughts out there and, and interrogate each other a little bit on this. Yeah, I think really. Where we've got to is, yes, there are cards you can include in the various factions to help with movement, but because the scenarios can vary so much, it's not necessarily worth being too specific unless you know exactly what's coming uh, with those cards that you include. You've got to think about your deck being useful for the whole campaign, not just for the next scenario, which has got a lot of movement. On the other hand, a scenario might have lots of movement in it, so it's worth looking at those cards in a bit more detail in those kind of campaigns. Mm-hmm. And as I say, I, I think um, Innsmouth is a bit like that. It's so far in Innsmouth. I've noticed more than a few scenarios with expansive maps mm-hmm. and having that mm-hmm. extra movement or the ability to revisit locations without needing to move back to them has been really useful. But I think I, I said but at some point. So that the other side of this is maybe the main way of doing this is interrogating my own play as I'm playing to make sure that those move actions I'm using are efficient. Mm. I think that comes back to really, or the thing I'm left with for this is if you've thought about when you've built your deck, do I have movement options? And the decision you've come to is I don't need them. Then if you get to a movement intensive scenario, as long as you know, okay, movement is going to be so valuable this scenario, then you know, and you can move efficiently. But if you haven't thought about movement and you end up in a really huge scenario, you then might end up going, oh man, I'm always in the wrong place. This is really challenging. So sort of knowing, I guess, the more you know. Yeah. I mean, the flip side is, of course, if if you make yourself excellent at everything else, you have lots of spare actions to move. Yeah. Yeah. That's the Agnes all over again. You spend a lot of time moving, but then when you take tests, you normally smash them. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, the, there's that efficiency. And I thought as well... Just as a final thought that relates to this, if you're putting cards in your deck that help you move, if you have a way of then drawing cards efficiently, you're getting double duty on that those saved actions. Because when we talked about shortcut, I thought, if you've spent an action to draw, and it's drawn you shortcut, and then you spend the card to move, you're coming out action neutral. And in fact, you then don't have a shortcut. So it's not ideal. But if you're, say, Mark Harrigan, and you've drawn that shortcut through taking damage, so you've not spent any actions drawing it, it's then it's generating even further action advantage through the fact that you can draw efficiently. And that loops me back to that thought about how Seekers have lots of ways of drawing cards. So it's almost trivial then to throw a shortcut away or give it to someone just on a whim because, you know, you can draw back through your deck so quickly it doesn't matter. 
So, movement in the bag. I think so. Yeah. I, as always, I think we've we've just kind of breached the top of the the topic, and we could have talked. Mm-hmm. When, when I looked at the list of cards, I thought, oh god, we could spend all day talking about this. Yeah. Uh, and it, genuinely, I think we could. I think we could talk for another hour about this, but but that's not our shtick. As a, that's as not a our shtick. No, no. So, listener, have your thoughts moved at all about movement? See what I did. I did. If so, you can write in. We're drawn to the flame podcast at gmail.com. We're drawn to the flame on Facebook, on Twitter. Uh, you can also buy drawn to the flame goodies on design by humans. And you can become a patron of the cast. If you search for drawn to the flame on Patreon, Peter, how can people get in touch with you? I am United everywhere. That's U N I T L E D. I'm on uh, Twitter and discord and steam. Someone added me on steam. Um, I didn't. I didn't. Hey, cool. Well, uh, I'll tell you about that after. <laughs> it was it was <laughs> it was a, a, an interesting interaction where someone I didn't know I was friends with on Steam had seen someone else. Someone else had said to them, "Oh, yeah, you're friends with United." Uh, it, was, it was quite funny. Oh, yeah. So yeah, please say hello. How about you, Frank? I'm FB FEB Zoe Glass and Zozo around the place. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you. Thank you.